And there is this understanding by Abraham that the Messiah was going to come through him. He believed God that through Abraham, the salvation of the world, he didn't understand how it was going to happen. Both Abraham and Sarah were much older at this point, but he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, there wouldn't be a baby for another 15, 14 years. And yet he stood in faith until Isaac was born. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Galatians chapter 3. We've been working through Galatians and we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 today. This is just a, a tremendous passage of scripture. There's there's some things that are just so key. They're jumping from the Old Testament, and it, it, most of your Bibles, probably every single one of them, depending on what version you're reading, it will still be the same way. You'll see passages in the first 14 verses, like in verse 6, verse 8, verse 11, and also in verse 12 and verse 13 that are in italics. Um, verse 10 also is, is picking up on that. And, and what that tells us is that Paul was drawing directly from the Old Testament passages to kind of build his argument that he's working with the Galatian church. Now, what happened in these churches, it's not just one church, but it was a region, much like Lake County we are in. We have several churches in Lake County. And there was this teaching that came through by the Judaizers. These were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. So Jewish men and women who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But they added to the message of the gospel that for the Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they added that they needed to be circumcised and that they had to keep the law. So for them, it was Jesus plus. So these passages that are coming in verses 6, 8, 10, 11, 12, and 13, Paul's building his argument right from the Old Testament, and he's really dealing much with the life of good old father Abraham. You know, the children's song that they, I don't know if they even sing it downstairs anymore, but father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had father Abraham. He's saying, look, I want to show you something with Abraham, the father of the Jews, that it wasn't his works that got him 
to be declared righteous before God, but it was his faith. And I find this very interesting from the book of Hebrews, Romans, and Galatians. Because in Hebrews, Romans, and Galatians, in our passage today, we find in verse 11 that it says in all three of those New Testament books, they're quoting from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. And he asked the question in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this move of the Spirit works versus salvation. Now, Abraham, he had done some pretty great things prior to this event. The Lord had called him out in Genesis chapter 12 when he was 75 years old and said, you know, go to this country that you do not know and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. Abraham, follow me. Get away from your kindred, from your gods, and worship me. I'm going to take it to a place you don't know, but I'll show it to you on the way. And I'm going to bless the world because of you. And Abraham went on a journey. When he was in that country, initially in the area of Canaan, where Israel is today, there was a severe famine. One of the first things we learn about when he gets there, there was this severe famine that was in the land, and Abraham went to Egypt. Now, when he was in Egypt, this is so... God, because Abraham was so undeserving in Egypt. When he went to Egypt, he told his wife, Sarah, because they were really half-brother and half-sister. They used to do that stuff back then. We don't do that today. But he said, you know, when we're traveling about, just tell everybody you're my sister, because, man, you're such a foxy babe that they're going to kill me for you. Now, consider that she was, by the time she had Isaac, she was 89 years old. She must have been a looker in that day. And so she did. She lied for her husband. The Pharaoh took her as his wife, and God kind of cursed the, all the women there in Egypt, and they couldn't bear children during that time. And then it was discovered that Abraham had lied, and the Pharaoh had given him all these gifts and the end result is he left Egypt after the famine was over, a wealthier man than when he went down. And yet God blessed him, as twisted as that situation was. When he got back into the land, him and his nephews, stuff became so large that the land couldn't contain them both with all their livestock that they had. And so Abraham took this bold step and said, Lot, you're my nephew. I've raised you as one of my own. He said, whatever way you pick, Take the best of the land, I'll go the other way. Now it tells us that Lot looked up and saw the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it reminded him of Egypt. And it was a very beautiful and bountiful place. And, and Lot said, I'm no fool, I'll go that way. And Abraham went the other. Now after that, God told Abraham, just walk the breadth of the land. I'm giving it all to you. Wherever your feet shall trod, that's yours. And so he went forth on his journey. And then Lot was captured. There was war between the kings back then. The local regional kings rebelled against this main king in the 13th year. And that king came down and he captured Lot, captured Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham went after them with 318 of his trained men. Four kings against Abraham and his, his little household there. And he won. He went by night, he chased them down, he ambushed them, and he recovered everything. God blessed him, but that did not declare 
Abraham is righteous before God. After that event, the king of Sodom came and said, just give us our people. You can have everything. And Abraham said, I'm not going to have you say that you made Abraham rich. You keep it all. Only give me provisions for my men and the things that they have taken, but I don't want your stuff. After that, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, this is believed to be a, what's called a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. He came and Abraham gave him a tithe of all that he had, a tenth of his wealth. And it tells us that they had bread and wine together. What is bread and wine? What did we just do earlier? They had communion. They had fellowship. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, but that wasn't the event that had the Lord say, you have been declared righteous. It was accounted to you for righteous. It was after all those great things that Abraham had been involved with in the land. He's around 85, 86 years old at this point. He'd been in the land for 10 and 11 years. In Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that God came to Abraham and he said to him, I am your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. He came to Abraham. He said, don't be afraid. It seems like Abraham was afraid. And he says, I'm your shield and I'm your reward. Now, Abraham said to the Lord, you say my reward. You said, follow me and all the nations of the earth will be blessed and I'm going to have offspring. And yet it's been 10 plus years now and there's no baby yet. Sarah's still without child. And I don't know if you've realized, but she's getting older. And the Lord took Abraham outside. You know, last night when I let the dog out the last, right before we went to bed last night, there's something about this time of year and the cool, crisp air, and you look up and see the stars, and they're a little brighter. They pop a little bit more. But I can tell you what, that stars in Lake County, Illinois, don't pop very well because of all the extra electricity and lights and illumination that we have here on the earth. When I was in Hawaii last year visiting my son, and the very last night that we were there, just driving back to the hotel, and, and, and I was just waiting until I could get away from all the lights. And this is one of the least populated islands, but I was getting away from the lights, and I pulled over on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, no street lights, no town lights, no nothing. And Lily's like, what are you doing? I said, I want to see the stars. Now, the stars that I saw last night could never compare what I saw in Hawaii that night. I told that to my son. He said, well, you should go to the other side of the island. Go over on the west side. You were on the more lit side over there. And yet Abraham didn't have light pollution. When he went out and he looked at the stars, he saw this vast multitude of stars. He saw the galaxies behind it. And God said, so shall your descendants be. And that's where scripture says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He said, Abraham, look up, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants are going to come from your loins. And there is this understanding by Abraham that the Messiah was going to come through him. He believed God that through Abraham, the salvation of the world, he didn't understand how it was going to happen. Both Abraham and Sarah were much older at this point, but he believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, there wouldn't be a baby for another 15, 14 years. And yet he stood in faith. 
until Isaac was born. Therefore, verse 7, back to our passage, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of faith. It's not works. So we are the sons of Abraham, the sons of faith, according to the scripture. Verse 8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before him, saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 3, it's found there that the Lord preaching to Abraham, in you, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Just as Abraham believed, and that's what Paul's getting across to the church in Galatia. He's wanting to get that across to us today. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, so too is our faith in Jesus Christ. Last week when we were with the people counseling at the Greg Laurie thing afterwards, and I just shared with the folks there that, you know, the decision that you're making here tonight, faith in Jesus Christ, I said, there's nothing more that you can do to make you any more saved than you are right now when you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, God's going to do some work in your life. He's going to work some change in your life. You're going to become a new creation in Jesus Christ. But there's nothing more that you can do. Your part is faith. And the Lord's part is the work that he's going to do through the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't add to so just like believing Abraham, he'd done a lot of great things. He'd done a lot of good works prior to that, but it was his faith in God's word. So shall your descendants be. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And it's our faith in Jesus Christ that we are also counted along with believing Abraham. In verse 10, it says, for as many of us are of the works of the law, are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So Deuteronomy chapter 27, 26, it tells us that everyone who is cursed who breaks the law, basically, if you don't do them, if you don't continue in them. I was thinking about the law, and when it boils down to it, we have the Ten Commandments. And I shouldn't have to remind you of the 10, but I kind of listed them out here. I'm going to run through them real quick. And the Ten Commandments, these are those that's found in Genesis chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or idol. Now, for the majority of the people in the United States, we're not making carved images. I don't have any, you know, stone or wooden idols that I carry around with me, nor do I bow down and worship them. But for the majority of the people in the United States, we have our idols. We even name TV shows after them. And we have things that we worship, whether we want to recognize it or not. And God said, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or idol. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. A couple of years ago, a guy came seal coating. A lot of times you have these gypsy-like folks that come through doing the seal coating in the summertime in the parking lots at your home, church, whatever. And a couple of years ago, a guy came in. I let him do my driveway. I was painting the house, and it was something I wanted to get to. 
And so it's just like, forget it, I'll let them do it. And During that whole time, he kept using the name of Jesus, not in vain in the sense of as a cuss word, but in vain in the sense of declaring his faith in Jesus, like, you know, I wouldn't lie to you. And, and he was just like, he was trying to build his reputation on the name of Jesus. Now, I've been in the trades for much of my life until I became a pastor. You don't have to talk about your work. You just need to do good work, and I'll know if it's good. You don't have to, you know, use somebody else's name to declare you do good work. Do the work. I'll, I'll be able to see if it's good or not. Stand on your work, not on your name or the name of Jesus. That's using the name of Jesus in vain. So we can even do that to where you borrow from Christ to maybe build your business, but it really it's not about Christ at all. And there are some who use the name and they represent Christ well, and there are others who use the name of Christ. They're using the name of the Lord in vain. So whether by our language or how we speak about Christ, he said, we're not supposed to do that. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. We had this conversation with one of the youth a couple of weeks ago. Where's an ox, he was saying. And it says, don't covet your neighbor's wife or anything that belongs basically to your neighbor. So back then it was their maid servant, their male servants, their oxen. And we could say it for me, you know, all you got neighbors, all you got to do is pull up in a new Mustang and it'll turn my eyes. I can tell you that. And uh, it will Lily too. And, and we see him on the road because that's the car she wanted. And I said, well, Lily, that's not practical, is it? I'm the one who kind of held her back from that. And, and so when I look at him now, she goes, look, we had our chance. <laughs> but we can have that kind of heart. Now, of the ten, Jesus took it a step further. When he says, you shall not murder, he says, even if you call your brother Raka, which means fool, it was a bad way, but you're just mad, angry in your heart. He said, you've committed this sin already. You didn't actually kill the person, but you killed him in your heart. You've already committed the sin. He said about adultery, you know, you haven't committed the physical act, but the thought was there. You've committed it. And I look at this list and I think, you know, Lord, I broke them all. I'm guilty of them all. For as many as under the works of the law, if you're going to keep these 10 and say it's good works, and God says, okay, here's the 10 things I want you to do then you're going to discover that your works are going to fail you. And that you're going to be under the curse. Because if you think the works is going to get you to heaven, then God's going to hold you to that. And he's going to prove to you that your works haven't been as good as you thought they were. In verse 11, he says, But that no one justifies by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. This was the passage that just fired up Martin Luther. The just live by faith. It's not by, as the church was teaching in his day, faith in Jesus Christ, charity plus good works. The just live by faith. Now, as a believer, the charity and good works will come. We'll do good things. But it's not banking our salvation on those good things. Because we realize that 
It's all that Jesus did. We live by faith in what Jesus did there on the cross. In verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, the law is not faith. That line there in verse 12, the man who does them shall live by them. What it's meaning is if you're going to do the law, then you're going to live by the law. And if you're going to think that doing good works and keeping the Ten Commandments is going to make it to heaven, then God will judge you on those things. And he'll show you that you didn't make it. James even takes it one point further, and he says, if you break one point of the law, now realize in in Paul's day that these Pharisees and scribes had figured out that when you combined all the Old Testament, I just gave you 10, the Ten Commandments, the big 10. But in their day, when they combined them all together, they said there were 613 do's and don'ts in the Bible. And that was the law that they were referring to. Mostly don'ts, some do's, Mostly don'ts, but 613. You know, it's not the keeping of these laws. The man who does them lives by them. It's so you're banking your eternity on good works. And yet, what the law did was cause death. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid the price. And that passage of Scripture, cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus Christ He was not cursed because of his own sin, because he had no sin. There was no guile. There was no sin in this man's life. But he took our sins and he bore them on the tree. And he was cursed for you. He was cursed for me. He has paid the price. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus Christ has paid the price of our sin. He's done it all. The blessing of Abraham. What blessing? He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness. He was found right in the sight of God. Was Abraham right in the sight of God? Not because of his works. We already saw that, you know, what he did down in Egypt, that wasn't good works. That was trying to save his neck. But he was found right in the sight of God because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And we, too, can find that same forgiveness, that same righteousness, that same justification. The just shall live by faith, just as though you have never sinned, because curse of he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was hung on the tree. That as a result of that, we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Not through works, but through faith. I hope that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now I want to encourage you that through that step of faith, You have done everything necessary for salvation. As a believer, I believe the Lord has some work to do in you and some work to do through you. And usually the Lord does the work in us. Sometimes he begins to work through us right away. 
But even as he's working through us, he's still working in us. And yet, what the Lord can do when we, by faith, believe, the Lord said, I'll account it to you for righteousness. I will bless you because of the work of my son. You shall live by faith because we have been redeemed from the curse of the law through Jesus Christ on the cross, reflecting his glory to others. That's what the Lord desires out of us. All we need to do is believe. Father, we pray that you would be with us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Pray that you would just bless the remainder of this day. And Lord, as the church is gathered tonight at the Sherevest celebration, I pray that you would be glorified. I just pray a blessing upon us. Lord, be with the meal that whatever is downstairs, there tends to be a bit of food afterwards. Lord, bless that lunch. Bless the fellowship afterwards. And bless us at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.